Hello and a big welcome back, La Liga fans. This is the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. I'm your host, professional soccer player Alex Comcia, and I'm pumped for this new season and to once again be joined by El Profesor Chris Mumford in the house. How are you doing, Chris? How are you? Glad to be back. Glad to see some football. And of course, our expert analyst, Scott Martin. How's it going, Scott? Doing great, Alex. Just glad football's back in play. For sure. What a year 2020 has been. If you haven't watched any illegal football since March, then you missed out on quite a lot. So off the top of my head, Sergio Ramos was the top scorer right after the end of quarantine. Messi tried to leave Barcelona but wasn't able to do so. Suarez got transferred from FC Barcelona to Atletico Madrid. Gareth Bale went back to Tottenham on loan. And Ronald Koeman took over and tried to bring in his fellow Dutch players, Memphis Depay and Giorgio Wijnaldum. Did I miss anything else, guys? What's been going on? A lot of chaos uh, in La Liga. So Barcelona stole the show, um, really from the return of play from quarantine, uh, really up until the end of the transfer window. Just um, all sorts of chaos with the club, um, you know, from Messi's uh, attempts to get out of Barcelona to then, you know, Luis Suarez joining Diego Costa for really probably the deadliest, most violent forward combination the world has ever seen. Right. Atletico Madrid. And and then you have the, the failed transfers of uh, Depay and Gigi Wijnaldum. And you know, I think that, that Depay transfer, that was... You know, it sounds like it was turned down by La Liga itself because of Barcelona's astronomic wage bill. So, yeah, so much drama in the league and Barcelona right at the heart of it. Absolutely. And the the new season of La Liga has already begun, like we just mentioned. With the majority of teams playing four or five games, depending on where they're at, Real Madrid currently sit at the top of the table. No surprise there, Scott. Betis is right behind them. Real Sociedad, Villarreal, and FC Barcelona hot on their heels. Again, it's very early days, but it seems like the table is already starting to take its expected shape with, in my opinion, the exception of Atletico Madrid, of course. So what I thought we could do is just recap where certain teams are at, where the league is at, of how last season ended, the transfers that happened, and how some of these first few games have looked. Chris, is there anything that's stood out to you or any team or any player that stood out to you lately? Well, first of all, I think it's what I'm struck by is the season feels new and feels like a continuation at the same time. And um, I, I really feel like we're in the, it's almost as if we've, we're going to a parallel universe Suarez at Atletico and potentially playing with Costa. I mean, that's something I'm really excited about seeing, you know, Atletico Madrid, you kind of thought with Barca imploding a little bit and Real seemed a bit of a lackluster start, you know, they're still in the right place. So let's not get worried about that yet. We're only four or five games in. But, you know, I just think there are going to be so many storylines, and I think there are going to be some surprises. 
you know, I, I know that in the EPL podcast, we talked about how messy, as in M-E-S-S-Y, the season was going to be. <laughs> and I think there are going to be some real surprises. And, I'm, you know, that Sevilla, the more I've watched them play, particularly in Europa, where they're playing some day in, day out, very strong competition, I'm wondering if they can make a good hard run. Um, so I, I'm really excited about where things are going, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of unpicking these teams here. So let's start with Real Madrid, Scott. You know, give, give us the news. What, what's been happening? The transfers, where is Zidane's head at? How is the team looking? Obviously, they're in first place. You know, how's their form? What should we look for in the next few matches as well? Uh, so coming into the season, the general theme was try to offload players, save some money, and uh, you know make some money in the transfer window so that hopefully next year Mbappe and Holland are uh, La Liga superstars. So I think that was really the priority for Florentino Perez. When you look at what that's amounted to on the pitch, um, there is still that little bit of a gap in the attack, uh, especially you know, with Hazard again turning in overweight, uh, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then the recurring ankle issues. Uh, you know, possibly now out until the beginning of November. Uh, you know, there's a, a little bit of a hole in the attack. So defensively, you know, they still look solid. Um, Ramos, Casemiro, Varane—they're still doing their thing. But, you know, I think when we look at this Real Madrid team, Zidane has to figure out what's going to make this attack really start to click. Because I don't think he's found it yet. And thus far, we've seen Jovic turn two uh, starts, you know, back to back. So I think there was a hope that maybe, you know, playing more with a, a 4-4-2, you can accommodate both Benzema and Jovic being in the starting lineup. Then you also have that 10 open for you know, Odegaard or Isco. So, you know, there's a little more flexibility there to, to really bring the playmakers onto the pitch together, but we really just haven't seen that cohesive performance. And then, you know, the other issue is that when they played that 4-3-3, as they did last year, Vinny's looked really good. So he's scored in back-to-back -back games now. Um, you know, there's still that, that little bit of a disconnect in the final ball or the shot but he's really looked like the one player that can make something happen out of nothing for this team. I, I think he'll be key uh, for Real Madrid, much like you know, youngster at Barcelona. Absolutely. And Chris, you know, Scott mentioned a little bit that Real Madrid is really focusing on calling guys back on loan and they're not going out and, and buying these very expensive players. Do you see that as a trend in this COVID climate for teams even like Real Madrid? No question. I don't think anybody's um, been impervious to this, with the exception of the English Premier League. Or they're still selling, buying like drunken sailors. Um, but you look at City A, it's more or less been net even. And you look at, to Scott's point, Real Madrid, uh, I'm looking at transfer market, and they, they came out of this market 108 million more pounds in the coffers, right? Um, and that to me is, you know, to, to, and, and to their credit, they've done a fantastic job in the previous transfer windows where I don't know if there are any enormous gaps right now. There, uh, the squad age is uh, 27 and a half, which is a little on the higher end, but that's, 
you know, that's like not a bad place to be at right now. Right. Yeah. And uh, if, if Scott, if, if you said bringing in those youngsters, that's going to drop things down by probably a couple of years there and really add some excitement. But that's what we're seeing in, in every league. And La Liga is no exception. What's your take, Scott? Yeah, so, Chris, when you look at even the, the age factor, you, know, you have guys like Ramos and Cruz um, who are still playing at a very high level who are you know, tilting in at, at the, uh, the one end of the scale. So, you know, I, I think Florentino Perez has not only thought intelligently, you know, in the previous year, but uh, when you look at over the past probably 10 to 15 years, there's always that, you know, the, the one or two superstars who are entering their prime that come in, you know, every few years. But when you look at the rest of his deals, it's all young players who are supplementing the roster, who are gradually earning more and more playing time and really having to earn their stripes with this Real Madrid side. So, you know, I think they're very well set. You know, you look at the players they offloaded, um, you know, I'd argue Hakimi and Reguilon could, uh, could play prominent roles in this side. Mm-hmm. But, you know, otherwise, you know, it's, they haven't lost anyone who was a major contributor last year. You know, yeah, I, thought, I, big... I, thought, I thought Hakimi and Reguilon would play, could play a, a massive role for them, especially in those, those fullback positions where they're, I wouldn't say as strong. I think you'd agree with me, Scott. The other thing that blows my mind about Real Madrid is, you know, they do spend so much money on these big stars. And I'm thinking about particularly Gareth Bale and Eden Hazard and how a coach arguably might be the best coach in the world, at least maybe top three. Zinedine Zidane, you know, struggled to find the best of both of those players. You know, what can we attribute that to? We know Gareth Bale has gone out. Eden Hazard comes in unfit. How is that possible when, in my opinion, Zinedine Zidane is banking on a massive year for Eden Hazard, hopefully to even be the MVP, the best player in the league, the best player for their team? How is that possible? Yeah, so I think with Gareth Bale's case, uh, it's really his injuries – uh, and, you know, it was his hope that he would be the natural successor to Cristiano Ronaldo. And, you know, that just hasn't happened. So I, I think that's really the source of the tension, not only from that organization, but the fan base. And, you know, he's always seemed to be healthy for Wales. Um, but then, you know, hamstring injury as soon as he returns to, to Madrid. So maybe that's a little unfair to him. But uh, I think that's really at the heart of it. He we were depending on him to become the top player on the team to really offer his guidance, but there was just never the level of consistency that we needed. Uh, when you look at Hazard, um, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the transfer from the start and not because I don't think he's immensely talented as we we've seen with Real Madrid that when he's on the field, he's a clear difference maker. My preference though is if you're going to spend that much money uh, and it sounds like the, the actual fee was actually much higher than initially assumed. You know, why not spend that same money on Mbappe right away instead of bringing in 28-year-old Hazard, who's maybe got two or three years, hopefully, of uh, his prime. So, you know, he definitely didn't do himself any favors, hasn't taken care of himself. Uh, and, you know, you figure after all the issues he had last year, 
that he would learn uh, this summer and just be a little bit more professional, especially since there is the quick turnaround from the end of last season to the start of this one. And it just didn't happen. So, you know, there, there's definitely some concern that he's setting himself up for a massive failure at Real Madrid, especially given the massive fee that they paid for him. So let me ask you th this question, Alex. Do you think that the Galactico model can be successful in going forward? Because Galactico dominated everything, but now you've got the Liverpools of the world, which are like, hey, we're going to use analytics, we're going to use these best practices, and we, we have some a bit of cash to throw around at the right time. And you look at how sensible they are, they were in this transfer window. Real Madrid is the prototypical Galactico buyer, right? So I just wonder if that's going to end up working or are they going to have a Barcelona type experience where you spend a billion bucks and it turns out that only one or two of those 10 actually produce for you? Right. It's a really difficult question because traditionally yes the Galacticos that Galactico model worked look at Pep Guardiola and I think the stat was he spent half a billion on defenders in the last few years and you know they can't even make it to you know the later stages of the Champions League so that would that would point to the answer being no you know you can't just buy your way to the title Liverpool you know also makes the claim, like you said, using analytics and, and, and finding the right players that fit your system. And also, in my opinion, an excellent coach who knows exactly how he wants to play. And he finds players within that system that fit that way that he wants to play and executes exceptionally on that in Jurgen Klopp. With Barcelona, you know, I would argue that Barcelona is even more of a Galactico club than Real Madrid is, especially lately. I mean, we're, we're about to transition to how Barcelona has been looking. But if you look at Real Madrid lately in this transfer window, they didn't spend. And Barcelona's intent was to spend a lot in the places, up, especially up top in the positions where, in my opinion, they have high quality players. You know, you hear that they want to sign Memphis Depay and Georgia Wijnaldum. They have guys, players that at an exceptional level in those positions. And I personally didn't feel that that's where they needed to spend. I thought they needed to spend in the center back position. But it's a tough, I don't think I have a definitive answer um, whether that model works or not. It's not the model that personally I would like to use. I watched, I recently watched the Leeds United Marcelo Bielsa documentary on Amazon Prime. And I look at a coach like him. And how he makes average players so much better. And he goes out and maybe spends, you know, splashes some money here and there for the right player. And that player definitely makes the team better. So I look at that model personally for inspiration that in football, you don't have to spend a crazy amount of money to be successful. Or else the same teams would always win. I mean, you can even look at Manchester United and how they spend and how that just has not worked. So it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to say for sure. But my, I feel like my instinct would say the Galactico model does not work anymore. Mm -hmm. Scott, yeah. what's your take? I'd agree. And you know, I think it was really the failure of the initial go um, business model, um, you know, that inability to 
step above Barcelona, despite the quality of players that they brought in, that really saw a little bit of a shift. They're still spending money, but it's on younger players that they can mold. So they're looking more, I think, for the raw ability to uh, bring them along the Real Madrid way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think the tables have kind of turned. Look at who's doing the big spending. It has been Barcelona, Manchester City. Um, you know, Manchester City's had plenty of domestic success in the past you know, five, six years. Um, Barcelona, I think you could argue the same thing. Uh, it's still top team in Spain over the last 10 years. But, you know, when it comes to Champions League play, you know, Bayern Munich was as dominant as ever, and they don't spend much money. Uh, if you look at their transfer fees, it's a very well-run club. They're, they're looking for undervalued players who really fit their model. And I, I think that's the way it's going to move forward in, in the game. Is you've, you've got to have an analytical approach to recruitment. And you know maybe you're finding uh, raw players who, who fit your mold, like Real Madrid. Or, you know, you take a step up like Bayern Munich and you're buying proven players from from various leagues, but you're really targeting them at the right time. So like uh, Sané from Manchester City, that that could pay huge dividends for Bayern. And they got him at a very reasonable fee. And Chris, especially in the, like you said, in this COVID climate, I think it leads us to believe that the model, you know, cannot work, um, especially with, Mm-hmm. fans not even being able to come in or very limited fans not being able to come in we've mentioned FC Barcelona a lot let's transition over to them there's obviously a ton to talk about so we, we don't want to spend too long as as Chris mentioned off screen this is a real rabbit hole here so first thing to highlight is we all know the problems that Lionel Messi has had uh, with the club and how he his intent was to leave and how that caused a bunch of uncertainty, but ultimately he's back. He's here. He's fully committed to the season. We do believe though, that it will be his last season. In my opinion, the only way he would stay is if they win the champions league, but we'll have to wait and see the biggest news. And we've mentioned this is Suarez leaving Luis Suarez, one of the best number nines in the game, who's an absolute legend for the club has not only left, but gone to one of FC Barcelona's arch rivals in Atletico Madrid. And you could argue that that's a club and that's a team, that's a style of play that fits him perhaps even better. We will go into Atletico Madrid as well and talk about how he can fit with Diego Costa and and João Felix. Um, Ansu Fati is looking really good right now. He's in top form. Barcelona have gotten back Coutinho, who has also been looking really, really good as well. I don't know what FC Bayern did to him, but he is an absolute beast now. If you look at his physique and upper body strength and the way he turns, he's always been very agile, but he's much stronger now. And it just seems he's, he's much more direct and confident. I think this, this past year at Bayern has definitely raised that confidence and he can be an absolute weapon for, for Barcelona this year. Griezmann looks the absolute same. Sorry, but he does. Uh, I don't. I don't know if they can get much out of him more than last year. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great last year. He was just average, and that's not good enough when you're at Barcelona. 
And then the final piece for me, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts, is after the absolute debacle and, and terrible performance against Bayern, immediately I thought one of the first things that Barcelona were going to do is, is go out and buy a center back. And the answer is no. They're continuing to go with Piquet and Langley. And obviously Langley got a, a red card a couple games ago, which absolutely wasn't. But in my opinion, still, that's, that's just not the duo to do it. Um, we've profiled them before in past podcasts, but they are part of the problem, in my opinion, at Barcelona. Sergi Busquets on the defensive end is also part of the problem and how they're all still there in starting roles with Araujo coming in, who's not doing terribly, is is a really, really tough situation for Komen to be. So I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts as well on where Barcelona is. And let's not forget Sergino Dest, by the way, the first American ever to make his debut for Barcelona. We have to mention that as something to be proud of, and hopefully he can play a big role um, on the right or left uh, fullback position. Yeah, so Alex, is, I've watched Barcelona uh, you know, over the past year you know, as we've prepped for these podcasts. What's always struck me, you know, I, I think they can improve at center back. You know, they bring in Frankie de Jong. Great transfer. Um, I think he will be the main fixture in the midfield for the next, you know, seven, eight years. They play more in a, a true box-to-box role. So, you know, as Barcelona does progress into the attacking third, as they you know, set up the uh, the tent, the sleeping bags that get camped out there as they spend most of the game in that area. So you've not only got the two outside backs who were way up the field, but then you have those three forwards, the 10, uh, typically that right center player. Uh, last year we saw Vidal, Rakitic playing that role, uh, typically switching off with Messi. But then you'd also see De Jong pushing up uh, almost even with Messi uh, just five yards outside of the box, and even running into the box. Who does that leave behind? That leaves PK, Lingley, and then just in front of them, Busquets. And now you're asking, what, 30, what, 33-year-old Busquets to cover the full width of the pitch as the opponent tries to counterattack. He can't do it. So, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, pushing seven players all the way into the opposition box, three players with questionable mobility to cover the full width of the pitch and, you know, the 80 yards uh, behind the rest of the team. So it's really that rest defense to me that's been a massive issue. And, you know, if anything, I think they could solve the problem just by keeping the young a little more conservative maybe starting from a deeper role and then moving forward as the opportunity presents itself. Um, but, you know, if Sergio Busquets is not going to play a major role in the attacking third, what's he doing on the field? You know, if you're going to spend money, why not bring in a, a six who's a, a clear ball winner and, and just can be a presence? If that's where Sergio Busquets is lacking and that's what's killing Barcelona – why stick with him? It doesn't make sense. And then not even to give him the, the support that he needs. I, I just don't understand it. 
So it's we, I've seen with Real Madrid so far this season, as they've played that four, and asking a player like Casemiro to cover the full width of the pitch is a bit much. I mean, this guy's world class, maybe the best at uh, that defensive midfield role in the world right now. But even he struggles to cover the full width of the pitch. And Barcelona wants Sergio Busquets to do the same thing. He, he can't do that. So forgive me for going all Stephen A. Smith on y'all because I don't think Barcelona is in nearly as bad a shape as everybody says it is. Okay. And here's the bottom line. They finished five points below Real Madrid. They, Real Madrid got one more win and two more ties. Okay. Barcelona scored 86 goals last year versus the second place, second most goals of 70 for Real Madrid. They scored 16 more goals than Real Madrid did. Now, admittedly, they gave up more goals. They gave up 38 versus 25. But the goal differential is still better at Barca than it was at Real Madrid. And, you know, I get tired of hearing pundits, present company excluding, say, hey, this is a, probably a statistical anomaly here, right? If we had had this simulation run out 100 more times, I think Barca might have come out as, as much of a winner as Real Madrid. Now, what I don't like is they got rid of Suarez, who is a prolific, what was he, 20-plus 20, 20 goals contributor in all competitions with injuries, and they're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to magically happen someplace. I think that we may look back and say, that was really stupid to give that, to especially hand that those goals over to Atletico Madrid, who, who struggled in scoring goals last year, right? So my sense is, is that Barca is going to do fine. In about seven games, people are going to be like, wow, Barca has performed above expectations, right? And that's probably a good thing because that's a feel-good story because when you have Messi on your team or the Messiah, you, you generally have nothing but downside unless you win it all. Now, we all know that the Champions League, the 7-2, hey, guess what? Liverpool just got crushed 7-2 as well against by Aston Villa. That's going to happen sometimes, right? Weird stuff happens. And I just feel like, um, you know, starting to roll heads, you know, they are broken as a organization. That needs to get fixed. But I, I think in terms of players on the pitch, if Bielsa can, can come up with that team that competes against Liverpool and Man City for a lousy 50 million bucks or 50 million pounds, right? There's plenty there to make Barca make a, a serious contender. So I, I'm not ready to, to, I'm getting a little tired of Barca singing the blues because Barca is going to do just fine this year. And it's going to be a lovely dogfight for La Liga. So there's some areas where I agree with you and there's somewhere I disagree. And I disagree with just pulling up the stats and saying that if we ran the simulation a few more times, this is what would have happened. I think you have to go back and look at who they lost against and who they struggled against, and that was the top teams. And Aston Villa beating Liverpool in the, in the Premier League versus losing in the Champions League against Bayern is, in my opinion, a big difference. Because 
the the Premier League is is a game that you're going to play week in and week out. The Champions League is something special where you have to, as a player, I'm looking as a player's perspective, you're going to give everything you possibly can to that game. And if you watch that game, it was not even close to giving the best that they had. They looked like they did not want to be out there. There was a culture problem. So that's where I agree with you too. There's a problem within the organization. Now, giving away Suarez, I don't think was the right thing to do, but Kuman thought that something had to be done. And Messi was probably part of one of the reasons why the culture wasn't right within the group. Suarez was probably another part of why it wasn't right. Where I agree with you as well is that the players might not be the problem. It's the way that they play. These same players under a different style of play could absolutely go out and win La Liga, could absolutely go out and win the Champions League. Just like Scott was saying, Busquets having to do these doggies and cover so much space is absurd. doesn't make any sense to me. You have to play to your players' strengths and their weaknesses. And what Barcelona has gotten into lately is being stubborn about the way they play because it worked in 2008. That's not the way it works anymore. And that's why a breath of fresh air like Luis Enrique when obviously they had Neymar, Suarez, Messi. To his credit, that he still had to win with that group. I'm not saying it was difficult with that, those three up top, but there is a different style there. That was a different Barcelona. And I thought after he left, Barcelona tried to go back to their 2008, 2009, 2011 Guardiola style of team, and that just did not work anymore. So, you know, the rumor is that Xavi's coming back. So I don't know if he's going to try to reintroduce that again. But under Kuman so far, they've looked to play a little more direct. And I'm sure, Scott, you can go into more into the details as well. But, you know, Chris, like you said, might not be the player problem. But we do see it as, as viewers of being, oh, he made the mistake. Busquets is not doing well enough. Lingley is not doing well enough. PK is not doing well enough. Or they have problems with their, with their right back, Samedo. That's what we see, but a lot of it can be put down to the style of play and what the coach expects. Because I do think under Bielsa, maybe, they, they could be a very successful team or under a different manager. But who knows with Kuman? Well, and to follow that point, when you look at a Bielsa-type team, just like we said, it, it's very systematic. Um, there is a defined, highly defined style of play there, and he fits players into that mold. Or he recruits players who fit that mold. With Barcelona, it just has kind of seemed like it's the stopgap approach. You know, like, go, there's a leak on that side of the boat. Let's go plug it. Yeah, let's let's go take care of that leak now. So it, it really doesn't seem like the recruitment strategy has been very cohesive. But then, yeah, bigger problem. Like Alex said, I just don't think there's much of a, a system in play. And you look at Setien, I, I think a lot of people were initially excited to have him back on board because it's bringing back beautiful Barcelona football from 2008. It's, you know what? Teams learn how to play against that style. And so when the old answer uh, produced another problem, it required another solution. And that's where I think that more direct approach from Luis Enrique, especially using Neymar, who I know this is probably blasphemy. I have always considered him the most, player, or most important player on that team mm. because he set up everything. You look at the way Barcelona played back then, it was a little bit more direct to Neymar, getting him isolated 1v1. Mm. He 
almost always beat that first defender. And then now there's chaos. And, you know, Messi and Suarez, they excelled when the opponents were in a state of chaos. So, um, you know, with Setien going back to this, this expansive attack, um, camped out in the attacking third, it was an old solution that didn't factor in the problems that Guardiola experienced. Right. And so, you know, maybe now with Kuman, uh, you know, I think we're seeing Fati filling that, uh, that Neymar role where he is, a, you know, maybe a, the most important player on the team now because it's his responsibility to unlock defenses and, and bring about that chaos. Absolutely. He's really looked like the only player who's capable of doing that on his own. Absolutely. Another team and attacking group that could cause a lot of chaos hasn't shown as much in the last couple games is Atletico Madrid. And Chris, I know you're super excited about Suarez coming over to the dark side, right? And playing with potentially uh, Diego Costa up top. Who knows if that's even possible to have a similar type player up top. But what what has been standing out to you with this Atletico Madrid um, squad club in the past couple months and even couple weeks? Well, I think they're, they're poised for expectational success. I'm coming up with a new, I'm a professor, so I get to make up stuff like that and sound really uh, smart. But Real, Atletico Madrid always has, always seems like people have low expectations of them. Right. You know, well, you know, they don't have a whole lot of money, though they actually do, right? Um, and, you know, they play a low block, they're going to do the counter, so on and so on. What I'm going to find really interesting is uh, with that 20 plus odd some odd goals, right? I, what they're going to be able to do, are they going to be, because I think Suarez is a very creative player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see, especially hooking up with Jao Felix in terms of what they're going to be able to do. So I'm, I'm excited about the idea of them going from, most negative style of football to could be a slight positive. Right. Uh, you know, that's pretty exciting. I mean, we all know that Real Madrid had ownership of the dark side of the force, but I actually think this year it's completely moved over to, they now have the death star over there with Costa and Suarez yeah. and Simeone. And, How and Ramos about- is, Ramos is a bit player now, you know, in terms of the dark side of the force. Yeah, he's still got it, but it ain't what it used to be. I don't know. Ramos is still looking fantastic, even in uh, international play. There's this tackle he did with his back foot. You should watch it on the highlight video. It's it's fantastic. But um, well, th- I will never challenge his bona fides in terms of dark. Right. I mean, there's there's nothing better than that. But I, I just I am so excited to have. Has Atletico Madrid, have they figured out how to fix their problem with respect to goals? Um, Scott, what's your take on that? Is that going to help them get to where they need to be goal-wise? Yeah, so I think having a a genuine finisher uh, like Luis Suarez coming in is a massive positive. So we saw with uh, Morata last year, he could get into the right positions, but the consistency in front of goal just wasn't there. So, you know, I think with Suarez, you're still getting that presence in front of the goal. He's still, he's still very intelligent. He'll find the, the right run. 
find the right little bit of space to to uh, get himself a shot. But he's definitely much more lethal than Marata. Um, you know, can they play together? Um, I think uh, Costa thinks they're a little bit different. You know, one's more of a biter, the other's more of a, a hitter. A fighter. Uh, a biter and a fighter. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. I don't know, you know, maybe this is something they experiment with against uh, teams from the bottom half of the table where they'll have six. But, Scott, let, I mean, this is the way I do it, and I know that, that uh, Alex may roll his eyes a little bit, but Real Madrid had scored 70 goals last season. Uh, Barca scored 86, and Atletico Madrid scored 51. So Atletico was a solid 20 goals below Real Madrid, right? If you take the 20-plus goals that Suarez can bring, right, then all of a sudden uh, Barca is, is down to 70-ish goals, and Atletico is up at 7-ish at with Barca and Real Madrid. And I just – I know that sounds too convenient from a numbers perspective. My question is, is do you think that Atletico – it's will be able to pick up another plus 20 or plus 15, at least to be in the ballpark, given their system and given a Suarez. That is, is where I need, I need the eye test help on. Yeah. So I no, honestly, I don't know if that exclusively comes down to Suarez and Costa. Um, I think Schwab Felix will have a major say. He's looking much more comfortable in his second year. Um, some of the performances he's put in have uh, just been phenomenal. So I think he'll have a major say in this team's success. But then when I look at Costa and Suarez, they're both, both very service-dependent players. So Joao Felix does give them that little bit of an edge, but I need to see a little bit more from Karen Trippier going forward. Mm. And then maybe most importantly, I need to see more out of uh, Renan Lodi. Lodi is such an inconsistent player. Uh, I think one recent game he was one for seven or one for eight in crosses. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just not good enough, especially if you've got targets like Suarez and Costa in the box. I mean, just give them something they can go attack. So for me, if Atletico wants to close that gap and you know, what really should be a more open La Liga season, you know, if they want to compete for the title, I think it's that delivery out from wide that, uh, that will determine the team's success. Not necessarily Costa and Suarez. I think they will play a role. They've got to be the finishers. But I think the service into them has to be much better. Right. One of the most interesting uh, parts of this Atletico Madrid side that I've been thinking about lately is what formation are they going to play with the loss of Tomas in the midfield? Because he was instrumental in playing that deep six role and controlling the game. A lot of play came through him. And I personally think he's a very, very good player. Um, I don't know who fills in that role. Scott, maybe you do. And I also don't know if that changes whether Jao Felix maybe goes and plays at a 10 and then they play with Suarez and Costa up top. Or does it just have to be Felix and then either Suarez or Costa up top? That's one of the biggest questions that I have for this team. Yeah, um, and you know, you look at Partey's absence. You know, do you replace him with uh, just one guy? You know, maybe you move Florente back. 
Mm. Or, you know, do you maybe go with like a, a four, two, three, one, where now you've got two players filling that role that Partey was filling. I, right. Well, that's, that's a massive quote. Simeone. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't have any time on transfer day to, uh, to really find a suitable replacement. Right. And to round out the top four from, to round out the top four from last year, we have Sevilla, who could be a dark horse, like you said, Chris, with leadership of Jesus Navas. They are looking particularly strong. Luke de Jong is always in, in top form, especially this past Europa League. Um, Navas, like we mentioned, I particularly am really fascinated by the young Frenchman at center back, Kunde, as a fellow center back myself. I think he reads the game exceptionally well, especially for an undersized center back. And I think he's partnered very well with, with Carlos as well. Um, at the back, and I do really think Sevilla could be a force to reckon with with this season. Uh, Scott, do you have any particular things that we should be looking for with the Sevilla squad moving forward? Yeah, I think with this squad, it's really, you know, can they maintain their fitness levels over the course of the season and avoid any massive slumps? Uh, there's really not a whole lot of personnel change with that group. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the group they finished with last year was fantastic, and you know, we saw in the not only at the end of the Europa League, but the German or sorry, the UEFA Super Cup, they went toe to toe with Bayern Munich, and you know there were definitely spots where they could have stolen the victory. So you know, given the overall strength of their squad, and you know, just this this sense that um, you know, regardless of the the amount of talent that they have at their disposal. It's just another one of these teams that they're so systematic. You know, it's just everyone seems to have such a, a well-defined role and excel within it. Um, I, I think this is a side that, that could definitely uh, contest for a top two spot in La Liga. They've got all the pieces they need. Absolutely. And I forgot to mention they added Rakitic, which is... Oh, that's right, yeah. Which is a massive, massive addition in that midfield. You know, I think he could honestly make the midfielder of the year in this team. You know, he's obviously played for the club. That's where Barcelona signed him from. And besides that, like you said, it's pretty much the same team with a good addition, a player who already knows the club, already knows the system, that just, in my opinion, probably comes into that culture very easily. Chris, do you have any thoughts about Sevilla for this upcoming? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited about Sevilla. Um, you know, they had six losses, the same as Barcelona uh, last year. Um, they had a large number of ties. They had 13 ties, which was second only to Atletico Madrid. Um, so they needed goals. You know, they only um, scored uh, 54 goals um, against 34 against with a goal differential of 20. So they're a good solid 20 less than a Real Madrid and Barcelona. So they're actually the big spenders, the only big spenders in La Liga. They dropped uh, a little more than 61 million euros. And I think they really were very smart. Um, you know, they didn't go out for any, any super big s splashes, uh, with the, the exception that, you know, Ratchetik is a, uh, is a big signing, but, he didn't, he cost 1.65 million euros. But what I, I, I like in terms of what they did to invest in their, um, in their attacking play is they brought in Suso from 
AC Milan, uh, right winger. They brought in, uh, Rodriguez, uh, Oscar Rodriguez, attacking midfielder, um, uh, from Real Madrid. They brought in, uh, Osama, uh, Isdizri, um, a left winger, um, from, uh, Eredivisi, um, uh, area, AZ Akmar. I'm sorry, the, uh, the Dutch division there. So, you know, that's a quick little 50 million on some, um, some attacking play. Um, and they spent a little bit on, on a left back, um, uh, Marco Sakuna, um, from Sporting CP. So I like the really intelligent selections that they've done, uh, and really trying to figure out how do we have a few more, let few, a little fewer ties? How do we have two or three less losses? But I'm really impressed. They only had six losses last year. I mean, that's three less than Real Madrid. They know how to lock down. They've got a strong, um, style of play. Uh, and we know you, you can change the colors of the jerseys on Sevilla, but you're still going to know that it's Sevilla playing. Scott, what do you think about those additions and how does that fit into what their needs are? So if anything, I think it gives them depth and uh, gives them options as they go forward. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see any of these guys as, you know, the, the absolute game changer that takes them to the next level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it's, yeah, very intelligent uh, signings that fit needs. And, you know, that left back you, you mentioned, Marcos Acuna, he's coming over from Sporting Portugal. Um, I mean, I've, I've watched him his entire career in Portugal. Um, this is a very, very tenacious uh, guy who's uh, played with, along with Messi in the Argentinian national team. Uh, he brings not only that, that great delivery of crosses into the box, uh, he was a former uh, wide forward who's now converted to an much like Jesus Navas. Um, but yeah, this guy's tenacity is something to watch out for. So, you know, maybe overall, not the superstars that some of the put in, but really good depth signings. And but, Alex, but my you, question for you, like, so with Rakitic coming in, you know, the, the void that uh, gives him more production out of that role or, or something comparable, so I think that's key. I'm not sure. Um, it's still early days, but I think a creative player like him absolutely, you know, provides more and gives more and makes the players around him so much better you know he has exceptional experience and um this guy can really pick a ball out on a on a dime and and that's no exaggeration at all so that talk you know rounds up the top four and obviously that's very exciting is those top four champions league spots you could argue though that the europa league spots is even more competitive and more challenging because you can throw in teams like Betis in there, for example, who have started off really well. And that's another question I have for you guys is what, who do you see as some of the dark horses in that Europa League spot? We know we have Valencia, we have Villarreal, last year Hetafe. But when I'm thinking we got Betis, we have, we have some really good talent at uh, Sociedad, like I mentioned. Granada wasn't bad as well. You guys have any particular teams you're you're really following? Yeah, Villarreal on my part. Um, with the exception of that Barcelona game, they've had a really nice start to the season, and you know they made some really nice depth signings that 
you know, again, maybe not the superstars. You know, you could maybe argue that Parejo can uh, take on that star role from the midfield. But uh, just overall, just a much more rounded team this year with tactical flexibility. I think we could probably rule out Valencia, wouldn't you say, Scott? Just because it seems like that's been a uh, sorry a uh, a train station of people leaving um, there, given their economic woes. Uh, is that fair yeah, to say? I'd almost be surprised if they finished in the top half of the table. Wow, that's a bold statement. Yeah. yeah. Panic sells from Valencia um, all summer long. No change in system. I I just don't know where this club's going. What about um, Athletic Club Bilbao? That's a tough one. <laughs> right now they're not doing well. They're they're in nineteenth place after four games. Yeah, they're. Uh, you know, you just you really hope that regardless of who you root for in La Liga, they're one of the. Complicated, um, just such a phenomenal history. Um, but something is awry right now. The, the inability to get anything out of Inaki Williams. Um, I mean, he doesn't seem to be stretching the line quite as effectively as he has in the past. And, you know, if you're not getting that from him, uh, and he's not scoring, then, you know, you've got a question why he's in the lineup. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, a storyline to track over these next couple of months. You know, do they, they have that kind of Espanol? style of regression or or can they write the ship early yeah I, I think my quick take is is they've brought up five or six players out of their their uh, segunda, segunda division b and um you know they're 20 young 20 something year olds and that's kind of atletico bilbao's mo uh that that's what they're gonna do they spent a little bit of money on um alex Berenger from torino uh, drop 12 million euros on that. But I worry that, you know, they were, they had a nice, a really nice run. They, their post or during COVID run was as good as anybody, right? If, if you remember, but I don't know. It's the, the, uh, the cupboard feels a little threadbare right now. You need to bring back Keppa, right? right. <laughs> Nobody wants Keppa right now, right, Chris? Yeah. And I feel bad for the guy. I mean, he's, you know, but what's, what, what are you going to do? Uh, he, it, it's no one had a gun to his head to sign a huge contract. So, uh, uh, it's, it's tough, but yeah, no, the, the Kepa's maybe, uh, in maybe third on the list because they brought in Jokin Escatita, who's uh, 23 years old from the Segunda B division. So, uh, Kepa wouldn't, it wouldn't be a sure deal for him. He's, uh, to get his slot back. For sure. So let's quickly preview some of the upcoming games we've obviously been on international break um but let's just take a quick look briefly at uh scott real madrid takes on cadiz newly promoted cadiz what do you expect um in that game is it going to be a blowout um i don't think it'll be a blowout uh so i think you have to look at real madrid's attacking issues in these past few games trying to figure out you know do they stick with what they had last year or do they kind of tactical progression. I think that's still up in the air. And, you know, if you uh, have the Real Madrid prospectus, uh, you'll know that this is actually a very defensive team. So I think they'll sit back, they'll absorb pressure, and they'll be tough to break down. So, yeah, don't expect 
they should get the result, but what's what's the score line, Scott, to put you on the spot? Uh one or two nothing. Really? Okay. Re- respect to Cadiz. So if you did if you did get the Real Madrid prospectus from thinkingfanmedia.com or on Amazon, you would know uh, that it would be such a low scoring thing because most people would think three oh, but you're thinking one or two zero, huh? No surprise. All right. With Good. the Ramos Panenka PK. One of those late runs when he comes in out of nowhere and heads it in, right? Hey, speaking of which, uh, Alex, talk to talk to us about the. Um, is there much evolution going on in, in terms of center backs or not? There is. If you look from a bird's eye view, and you say, let's look at center backs from two thousand five, two thousand eight, two thousand twelve, until two thousand twenty. They are just technically more superior. They're maybe even at the level of some defensive midfielders in terms of their technique and passing ability. I don't think that's a stretch at all, especially when you're looking at guys like Ramos, who's pinging balls on a dime across the field like it's nothing, like he's Tony Cruz. I think there is quite an evolution. La Liga especially, I think you'll find some of the most sound technical center backs there are in the you know entire world and what that does is that allows players to stay higher up the field so if you have center backs that are capable of bringing the ball up and breaking lines and finding a good pass and splitting pressure that means you can have more numbers going forward it's that simple so you don't have to have two defensive midfielders coming all the way back just to make sure that your center backs are not donkeys and they're going to lose the ball so that you have to come back and now you have to bring the ball up and dribble. And then where, where are they? Those two center backs are kind of empty space. Now it's easier to press when you have, you know, one defensive mid or two defensive mids coming back for the ball because the forwards on the other team just have to keep you in front of them. Mm -hmm. So the evolution for me has been gradual but evident it's you know less gradual for guys like i mentioned sergio ramos like a van dyke for example pk you could say back in his day when he used to go up the field but not so much anymore um but in terms of these these runs where where center backs have to be part of the creative side of the game i don't think that's you know a stat that we should be looking at necessarily because it's just so few that do that. And we've talked about this before. Some center backs would try to do that and their coach would bench them for the next game. I don't think that's a stretch at all. So slowly, gradually in terms of the, the entire you know database and stats, but then there's these outliers, like I mentioned of, of Ramos, for example. And you can tell how much I love Ramos because I've mentioned him three times already in this this one this one conversation. <laughs> but but here's my here's my thing, right? Um, Trent Alexander Arnold is kind of really the poster child for attacking right back, right? Right back. Robinson, poster child. It would seem to me that an enterprising coach would say, you know something? We got someone from the right going up, we got someone from the left. I wonder if we have someone that goes up the middle and then they the outside backs end up um, fortifying a little bit just because 
it's different, right? And if you've got good ball handlers, and I know personally you're a great ball handler and great field vision. Well, uh, thank you. Maybe maybe it's it's not eight runs, but it's four runs of which you get, you know, 50 percent. You're you're putting a dangerous ball into the box. Alex, you know which young center back, you know, other than yourself, fits that mold that Chris is talking about. Who is that? Your boy, Jules Kunde. Jules Kunde, yeah. He does go up the field. Yes, he does. So in La Liga, and I think over the, the top five leagues, he actually breaks in the like, 95th percentile in progressions through the dribble. So, yeah. yeah so, yeah, very active, uh, just like Chris was saying. And, again, this is, what, 21-year-old kid who's, uh, who's making that kind of adjustment? So, you know, maybe he is that, that young poster boy at center back that you know we can look at this is the next step this is the next progression mm -hmm. he's technically sound you know he's not a guy who really excels in long-range distribution mm -hmm. uh, like ramos but you know with the short and intermediate game he's very good he can beat the press um just a, a monster in terms of his athleticism um i don't know if you remember this during the uh the super cup game against Bayern. i think he was like backtracking towards his left, going up against uh, both Mueller and Diego Costa, or sorry, uh, Diego Carlos. Okay, yeah. Um, like in the left half space, just at the edge of his box. Mueller, who's 6'1", went up, uh, you know, he's right about here, and then above him was Kunde, who's three or four inches shorter. Right. Um, so, I mean, you're just seeing monster athleticism from undersized center. We're very good on the dribble. Um, very good at keeping the ball. Uh, I mean, you can tell just with his vertical. Kunde's not skipping leg day. So, sure. so very powerful player. And I think that's important. If you're going to be an undersized center back, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you've, you've got to have that, uh, that power that you see with Rob. Is, I mean, these guys, um, you know, the, the mobility that they bring over a guy like, you know, PK or Leng Lei, um, it's it's really such a massive difference maker. Yeah, definitely. Undersized center backs have, have been around, but it seems like they're taking on this new role. So for any kids listening or watching, take note of those special players. Ramos, Kunde, even have a guy who almost went to Barcelona uh, in Eric Garcia, who's at Manchester City right now. So Pep Guardiola is very high on him too. So let's keep an eye on these on these players. Uh, we also got Barcelona versus Hitafe coming up this week. Ansu Fati, like we mentioned, is in is in top form. Personally, I would like to see uh, Trincao. This is a stretch, but I'd like to see Trincao start almost for for Griezmann. Um, and I hate to throw the Frenchman under the bus, but you know I don't think his production has been particularly great within that. Coutinho, Messi, Fati, flow. I think Trincao is a very exciting player that we really haven't spoken about. And he's more direct. He's almost like a Real Madrid direct type of winger where he goes at you 1v1. He has this intent about him. He comes in from the right side on that left foot. And I think he's a special player that Barcelona really needs to you know, hold on to and I think give more time. I don't think we'll see the start for Sergino Des quite yet. I think Sergio Roberto will be uh, playing at that right-back position. We expect Clément Lenglet to come back. Although Araujo was decent, 
um, in the past game against Sevilla. Next to uh, PK, um, still expecting, I think, a little bit more um, in the middle of the pitch. Busquets has been all right. Frankie de Jong has been good, but I think he still has more to show. And let's not forget, Hetafe is, is the group of bullies, is the group of most long balls in La Liga, least passes made in La Liga last year. And I know, Scott, for you, that, that team was, was particularly exciting or not so exciting to watch last year. But they're very physical and hard to play against, so that could be something very difficult for Barcelona to handle, especially if they leave you know, their back two, three, if Busquets is there, isolated. The way they make this game difficult for Barcelona is they make it chaotic. Um, you know, they, they play those long balls. They uh, make Barcelona build out of the back every single time they lose the ball. And, you know, then they, they get that high press in. Uh, so funnel Barcelona to one of the two wings and then just get after them. So I think that's the path to success for Hitafe. And if I'm Barcelona, um, you know, I, I'm definitely, I don't know, maybe during uh, training games, I'm giving the, the opponents, you know, the reserves, two or three extra players just to make sure they, they bring the intensity and the physicality. Absolutely. So then finally. Well, sorry, let, let, me, let me chime in on, that, on this one because in the next five weeks, Barca is going to start off with Hitafe. They're going to have basically two games a week, and then they have to play Real Madrid. They have to play Juve right after that. Uh, they've got a couple more Champions League group stages, and then they have Atletico Madrid. So we're going to have a pretty good idea before Thanksgiving on where Barca sits. And I'm going to go on record right now. They're going to be sitting just fine. So, uh, uh, you know, I just it's – a, it's a heck of a schedule. I would argue probably the toughest schedule – of all the big five leagues coming up for them. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, but it's showtime, right? It's time, time to put the big boy pants on and show the world that Barca is still Barca. But Chris, Absolutely. I mean, do you worry that if, you know, they, they have a, a draw against Setafe and then they lose to Real Madrid, I mean, do the floodgates just open? It just seems like Barcelona is a club living on the edge. Uh, you know, any little push, that's it. You know, they're, they're down for the count. Yeah, I think that's I I think that's great um, kind of cocktail party psychology for the most part. Candidly, I mean, my sense is they got so much talent there that their you know their second string or third stringer are going to do just fine against the Hatafe. You know, obviously against a Juve, they're going to have to bring it more. But there's that guy, what's his name? Um, Leo Messi. Yeah, that's the guy, right? And I know he couldn't carry Argentina the way he's been able to carry Barca at times. But for whatever reason, I think this is kind of a, this is a season of respect where it's like, I'm a consummate professional. You will get, you'll get what you, what every cent that I deserve for doing this. And I'm going to carry along players with me. So um, I do worry about the goals with Suarez um, not there, but I don't know. I just I just got this feeling that things are not as bad, you know, that their untimely death is 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 a, is a little premature. That announcement. 
Yeah, and maybe they'll pop up and they'll step up to the occasion in this next month or two. We will yeah. have to see. And the last game to preview, guys, you can both chime in here, is Valencia-Villarreal. The the rivalry there, I think we've already counted out Valencia, Chris, but the, you know, Villarreal's in good form despite, like Scott said, despite that result against Barcelona. But, um, but yeah, Chris, anything to look forward to there? A tough matchup. It's it's their fumes left. I I just I really feel for Valencia. Um, I I don't. Uh, it's going to be a, a a nice match to watch. But if you don't got the if you don't got the talent, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. And you know I wonder if they're going to be in a possible relegation mode. So I can't imagine. That. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean relegation they, they, is is tough. A, a club like Valencia getting relegated. You know what, Chris? You're on record, so if they do, we'll put you on there. You're the only one. That's I'm saying, I, I'm saying, we need to have a big boy conversation about that because <laughs> uh, they, you know, just as some teams were buying like drunken sailors, these guys were just trying to plug holes from a cash perspective, and we'll see what happens. Lost their shirt and some in the transfer market. Oh, yeah, I mean, Villarreal is going to win this one. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, I, I don't think Valencia is in that bad of shape, but I mean, I could see 12th or 13th this year. That's for sure. So fortunately for them, they've already picked up some important points. Uh, so that goes a long way towards that total, but whew, yeah, they're a, they're a mess. Well, they, they sold 65 million euros worth of players and they brought in zero. Okay. And with those 65 million dollars, that, that was undervaluing all the players that they sent. That's exactly right. <laughs> they went to the local pawn shop and sold their players. It's it's crazy. Rodrigo, Torres, you know, Parejo, all these guys which are, you know, legit contributors, probably not superstars, right? But the fact that um, Torres and Rodrigo, that's uh, just taken a lot out of their their ability in which to score goals, of which they didn't necessarily crush it last season year either in that category. Absolutely. Guys, before we wrap this up, I want to go on record and ask everyone their top four what it's going to look like by the end of the season. I'll go first, and I'm going to say, unfortunately, it's going to be the exact same top four identical but Barcelona will be one point behind Real Madrid it won't be five that's my opinion oh boy okay so I mean for me Real Madrid obviously wins this uh, you know pretty easily actually in my life. Uh, I'm not too confident with Barca I I don't know I, I might go with Sevilla Sevilla too Barca third. Wow. Uh, by the way, Koeman gets fired. Xavi uh, comes in. Messi stays. Never leaves Barcelona. Wow. Uh, and then I think Atletico Madrid, uh, they'll probably struggle with consistency. They finish fourth. Villarreal gives them a push, though. I'm going to go on record. Barca's going to win it. Let's go. And I'm not a Barca guy necessarily. Let's advocate here. Let's go. Barca's going to win it. Uh, and um, I think that Sevilla is going to take second, Real third, Atletico Madrid fourth. Okay. Wow. 
Man, Chris, I'm going to send this back to you. This is going to be like a four-week <laughs> Hey, it's going to be a dull – If it's a dull podcast if all of us say that Real Madrid are going to come in first place. You know what? That's fair. And, and, and we know this. I, I know this from the other leagues. It's messy. It, M-E-S-S-Y. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, teams are going to get quarantined for because of COVID. Someone's going to get injured. There are going to be all sorts of things that we're going to look back on this year and say, that wasn't real. That was made up. And that's why I think a favorite like Real Madrid could get unseated, much in the same way that I think Juve will likely be unseated in Serie A, right? I'll tell you what, though, Chris. I don't think Liverpool is going to get unseated. But other than that, it's but these two leagues. I'll tell you what, Chris, you deserve, I don't know what prize, but if Valencia gets relegated and Madrid, Real Madrid, comes in third, you deserve a prize. You should be a betting man there. You should put something on that. I, I should put something on that, actually, is what I should do. Yeah, why, why not? If Great odds. About Great it. odds. But uh, having said that, thank you, gentlemen, Scott and Chris. That wraps up today's first episode of the new season thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the total football analysis la liga podcast we would also like to thank total football analysis solutions go check out www.totalfootballanalysis.com they are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community see you next week and hasta luego